and it just stuck with me like what does that mean you know i was like really but that prompted me to kind of ask around and like check with people like hey are there things that i'm doing that are bothering you like i really want to know and i had to go out and seek that 360 degree feedback from people which made me realize that you know there's a lot of conversations that happen when you're not there Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community that elevates designers to become empowered, educated, and effective using EQ-based tools and practices. Designers, we know it's essential to fine-tune our craft in order to lead or create real impact. Yet, what most of us don't focus on is our relationship with the craft itself. Throughout the design process, we might experience creative blocks, burnout, overwhelm, or conflict with team members or stakeholders. Design to Be aims to change that by helping to grow your EQ, by weaving authenticity, awareness, curiosity, empathy, fulfillment, meditation, resilience, trust, and much more into your design process. As designers, we love to do. We love to create. We love to reinvent. We love to uncover new solutions. What will make these creations, inventions, and solutions even more effective and unique are when we learn how to be. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Adam Rotmill. Adam leads product discovery and design at AstraZeneca, one of the world's foremost biopharmaceutical companies, on a mission to turn ideas into life-changing medicines and digital products that improve patients' lives and benefit society. Formerly, Adam led the interaction design craft at Fjord, a global design firm with 27 studios and over a 1,000 professionals. He teaches product design at Maryland Institute College of Art. Adam is also a volunteer mentor at Envision's Amazing Design People list and Google's UX Coffee Hours. In today's episode, we dive into why it's essential to cultivate self-awareness as a designer how to make your career strengths and weaknesses actionable, the importance of retrospectives, how to create a safe working environment, as well as stories and strategies for giving and receiving feedback. Welcome, Adam, to the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I think this is a really cool project, and thanks, everybody, for getting up on a Saturday to hang out for a bit. So hopefully I can come up with some interesting stories for you. But just diving right into things, Adam, to you, what does self-awareness mean to you as a designer? To me, it means almost the same thing as just as a person. But, you know, I think it's about being aware of not only your strengths, but also your weaknesses. And I mean, it sounds kind of obvious when you say it out loud, but you know how you get to ask that question, if people still ask that in an interview, what's your biggest weakness? It always kind of feels like a tough question because it's like, oh, how do I think of something that I can say where it feels like I'm answering the question, but I don't want to say anything that makes me look bad. And it's like, well, see, that's your ego. That whole thing is everything that's silently working to block you from 
dealing with any of those weaknesses in reality anyway. Yeah, I feel like an awareness of that story of, oh, that's just my ego talking or, oh, being aware of, oh, these are my weaknesses and maybe someone else and I can collaborate with someone else in a more effective way. I feel like ultimately shows more strength than weakness. Yeah, it's interesting because what happens, and I found it was very liberating, what happens when you confront some of your fears is that when it's just a potential fear, like, oh, everyone's going to find out I'm not very good at sketch then it's much worse than it is in reality. If you're actually like mm -hmm. start telling people like, yeah, I've been a manager for the past six years and I have lost a lot of my skills with software. Like when I started telling that to people, we started getting into reverse mentorship. I've got a friend now who has less experience than me, has maybe one fourth as much years on the job, but he's able to teach me things and I can teach him things about management. And it's great. He's like, oh yeah, he sends me links all the time. Like here's his videos here's how to like do this cool stuff in Figma. And it's awesome. So I think you have to be able to even ask that question that, you know, and definitely there's something that I can share that he's getting out of it, but there's definitely nothing wrong with that at any stage, whether you're newer in design and you want to talk with somebody about like, how do I become a design lead or how do I become a director? Or if you get to that point, I can just tell you when you're a lead and a director, you're like, oh, I'm forgetting how to use software. Can you teach me how to make cool stuff? So, you know. yeah, really leans into that collaborative piece. One of my closest coworkers on my team, he's like the best at all the super nitty gritty details of design and details of prototyping and everything. And I'm more like big picture vision-y kind of person. And I definitely lean on him during those times. And I feel like it rounds out our team in a more effective manner as well. Yeah, I guess one thing that happened for me, because I've worked at a lot of different companies now, and I used to have a lot more friction with coworkers three or four jobs ago, I don't know, five jobs ago, I would found that I was often butting heads with people. It felt like they didn't get it, or they didn't value the design, or they didn't value the research, or they weren't going to whatever, or you name it, there was always something. That's kind of what got me to change companies. And I felt like, oh, well, the culture here is no good. I'll just go somewhere else. And what I realized was these problems were following me around from company to company. So either that's just the way it is. And if that's the case, then I'll have to just accept it. Or it's me and I'm taking it with me <laughs> from place to place, which seems to be the much more likely explanation. Completely. Yeah, it's easy to fall in the mindset like it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. But in actuality, all you can control is how you respond to the situation. So having that awareness is I feel like no matter where you are in your career, it's a huge, huge leap. Yeah. And, you know, I think the interesting thing is it's also really empowering because when you realize that most of the problems are with you, the upside of that is that that's the one thing in life that you actually do have control over, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if the problem is with somebody else, I don't know, you might be able to try to influence them or try to influence situations. But at least if you know, oh, well, the problem is actually within me, then it's like, cool, like these are my hands. I have total control over that. And so part of it is just coming to that realization. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person or incomplete. It, well, it is kind of incomplete, but that's normal. It's about recognizing that imperfection and saying, okay, cool. Now what am I going to do about it? What's my action plan? How do I externalize and make it visible some of my strengths and weaknesses? And then, you know, turn it into a plan of something that I can control. Just the same as if it's for going to the gym or quitting smoking or whatever it may be, you know, it's about identifying it and making a plan. Definitely. 
we've been very high level of things that you've done or we've done that has helped make self-awareness more effective to collaborate. At a tactical level, what do you do either on a day-to-day or either earlier in your career that has helped build this muscle of self-awareness in general, but also maybe from a feedback-specific lens as well? Yeah. So I think introspection, that part of it, I was sort of naturally good at because I was sort of an introverted person for the most part. So I spent a lot of time walking and thinking. So I guess I didn't have a problem with that side of it. But the feedback, I think that part of it was I used to get feel defensive automatically. Like if someone was trying to give me some helpful feedback, I felt like they were telling me what to do or, or whatever. And so I started to build in more moments, like little rituals or whatever, regular recurring meetings, whatever you want to call them, for getting and sharing this kind of feedback. And I'll talk a little bit about some of those. But I think that the perception of the feedback, it's about your cognitive appraisal of what happened when compared to sort of the rules of the road. So the same reason why it's upsetting when someone cuts you off in traffic, it's not that it's that big of a deal. They're only like five feet ahead of you. But it's that in contrast to what you feel are the rules of the road, you're like, hey, that's not fair. That doesn't feel right. So you have to create conditions where feedback is explicitly part of the, that's what we're doing, right? So that's why it's important to deliberately say, like, we're going to have a retro now, and we're going to talk as a team of looking back on the past seven days or the past 14 days, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what can we do about it? A retro is a great one, I think, for Team dynamics. And you usually do. You mentioned seven to 14 days. Is that the usual cadence that you have retros with your team? So 14 days is a lot. I think it's good to do that, but it can feel like a little bit excessive. But I would say at least Mm -hmm. once a month, it's important to get the team together and have a retro that's not just about how many user stories do we clear off this board and stuff like that. But it's really like, how are we doing as a team? And also just Part of working together as a team is that you have to be able to trust each other and feel comfortable with each other. And so being able to sort of check in on your relationships and working relationships with each other and creating, I guess you could call it a safe space, but creating a space where those conditions are welcome. I do that for team dynamics. And then as far as the work specifically, I have once a week a critique of work in progress for my work and everybody else. On the team. And I think this is one, especially if you're the leader, you have to be really careful of this because you don't want to be like Don Draper, right? It's like you don't want to be the one where you have people bring you a bunch of stuff that I can reject, which is what he said in the show. It's totally the opposite of that. It's almost like I feel like as a leader, you want to try to become almost invisible in a way where you create the conditions where teammates can talk with each other and can critique each other and sort of build each other up and give constructive criticism. So I look out for that too, because I don't want people feeling like they're just showing their work to me so I can sign it off. Because it should be the other way around, that I might make a suggestion about the work and then somebody else would feel empowered and comfortable to speak up and say, well, actually, I don't agree with that. You know, I think these checkboxes should not be purple. They should be gray. Most checkboxes are gray when they're empty and that doesn't look disabled. That's normal. And they can, you know what I mean? That's important too, because if you don't have that welcoming condition, people will keep it to themselves. 
So how do you go about making those welcoming or that safe space where people feel comfortable expressing themselves? Yeah, we'll call a meeting about this new way of working. Like if we haven't done it yet as a team, like if I'm new in a company, and this is one of the harder things, if you join a company as a lead, you're stepping into an existing culture and you have to kind of check it out and see if there's any dysfunction or any of that stuff is missing. Like, oh, these people aren't talking to each other. Let's fix that. So what I usually do is I'll bring people together and I'll explain why I think we should do this. But even with that, I will say, here's this method that we can use and here's why it's good. But then I'll ask if people want to do it, if they agree. And so far, I haven't had anybody say no. But if they did say no, I think I would respect that. So I create that critique and I will say that, for example, when you come into the critique, you should be prepared yourself to be able to say to the rest of the team, I'm going to show you this work. Here's what stage it is. Either it's like really early or it's really refined. And here's the kind of feedback that I'm looking for. So that way, by coming in and telling people that you want certain feedback, you're welcoming them to do it. And then we get used to the idea and then we all do it with each other and everybody sort of gets used to it and it just catches on and becomes a regular routine. So that's one for critiquing. I'm a big fan of the monthly one-on-one and there are things that happen and not so much online, I guess, but with going out for coffee with someone, you know, getting outside of the building or even just going as a walk, I think it's helpful because you can have conversations with each other that are maybe a little bit more relatable, just talking to each other as people sometimes and just sort of checking in. But also in the one-on-one, and this is one thing that I think Accenture really got right. You know, when I was working at Accenture, like they, from a product design standpoint, not I would say Accenture projects can be sort of frustrating in certain ways. But one thing that they really did well as an organization is this thing that they call career counseling. And so every person in the company has a career counselor, which they can choose. It can be anybody in the company. And you would ask them if they'll do it with you. And if they agree, you'll have this regular monthly one-on-one where you go out and they're responsible for checking in on you, asking you what you're working on, and really making sure that you're getting the opportunity to do work that's sort of above your designated pay grade or whatever that may be. I want to make sure that if you're a junior designer, you're getting to actually do things now that are preparing you to become designer, senior designer. If you're a senior designer and you want to move into management, you're getting experience now to start to do those things. And then that's a thing that they coordinate between, you know, the mentor, the mentee, and the design lead and the operations folks on that work to have the necessary behind-the-scenes meetings to make sure that everyone's getting the real on-the-job opportunity to stretch and grow on the work that they're actually doing, and then has that regular check-in point to talk about it from a craft perspective, but also just like other things that aren't software-related, like when you start becoming a manager and you start realizing like, oh, there are different challenges about this that I didn't think of. You don't just show up and be like, hey, everyone, you know, And everyone's suddenly going to be like, hello, leader, like, (laughs) show me what to do. It's like, you know, you have to bring something to the table. You have to inspire people. You have to make them feel comfortable. You have to advocate for them in a way that they can feel that you're helping them grow and do their best work. And then it turns out they also will support you as a leader because you're helping them. And that's sort of like the thing that if someone wants to start doing that for their first time, I think it's very helpful to have those one-on-one coaching sessions from somebody who's 
done it for a while, but also remembers what it's like to first kind of get into that new type of work. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like you alluded to two different kinds of feedback. So one, there's feedback specifically about the work, which is like very important with like critique culture and uh, collaborating in that sense. And then there's also this other element of feedback, which is more of like the coaching aspect of being aware of how others perceive you as a designer separate from your work. So in that lens, can you share a story of a, it could either be from you or something that you experienced, but like a feedback that in the coaching lens that didn't go so well, either possibly for you specifically, or maybe one of your reports or something like that, and how you helped mitigate that to help either make yourself become more empowered or help the receiver be a bit more empowered and comfortable? Yeah. So, well, I don't know. I'll just pick one at random, but I think there was a time when I was getting feedback from one of my mentors or coaches, and uh, I got a piece of feedback where she said, you know, your reputation's not that great as you think it is. And I was like, huh. And it wasn't meant to be confrontational. It was almost like this offhand like comment as I was walking out the door. And it just stuck with me like, what does that mean? You know, I was like, really? But that prompted me to kind of ask around and like check with people like, hey, are there things that I'm doing that are bothering you? Like, I really want to know. And I had to go out and seek that 360 degree feedback from people, which made me realize that, you know, there's a lot of conversations that happen when you're not there. People may be talking about it. They have negative things to say, and you might not know about it. So it's really better not to leave that stuff bubbling under the surface where it might blow up at some point. You create the pressure release valve where you check in on a regular basis and say, hey, you know, just want to check in and see how we're doing. And I think you have to get a feel for it. You have to balance it out because you don't want it to feel, if you do it too much, it kind of makes it feel like something's wrong when maybe there isn't something wrong. So you have to kind of feel it out. But I think it's important to intentionally go and seek feedback and give a structure like, can you tell me three things that I've done well and three things that I haven't done well or something like that? Yeah, it's hard to, it's kind of getting back to where we started at the beginning. It's easy to, especially I feel like most designers are at least like, I'm 51% introverted. So I'm like a little still a bit more introverted. But most designers are pretty introverted in some lens, and maybe they might not like journaling or introspection, but it might come a bit easier. And this notion of requesting feedback or putting yourself out there for feedback is to be really, really vulnerable and really scary. So props to you for like <laughs> having that catalyst of reaching out when someone's saying that something that it definitely pings something inside. Yeah. Well, the thing about the vulnerability, and that's what I was kind of alluding to before when I said it's never as bad as you think it's going to be, because once you take on those things that you're vulnerable about and you start working on them, it's sort of like you can't get any worse than that. Nobody can take it away from you because you're owning it. And you're saying like, yeah, these are some things that I'm working on. And that can be true about anything. Like if you've lost a job in the past now, I mean, just look at LinkedIn. It's almost like a badge of honor. Like, I failed. I was fired. You know, <laughs> um, you got to have those stories. Whereas before it was a big secret. You didn't want anybody to know that, you know, this happened at some point in your career and stuff like that. So I think that LinkedIn actually has had a great sort of effect on helping people realize that a lot of stuff that I remember pre-LinkedIn, I used to think was a big deal. But then I see lots of other people openly talking about some of the 
problems that they've had and challenges that they've gone through. And I realized, oh, this is actually a lot more common than I realized. Yeah. LinkedIn has definitely been an incredible tool for that. We'll have one more question and then we'll leave some time for questions. But if a designer either on the call now or listening in the future, it's like, hey, Adam, okay, I'm kind of interested about this self-awareness stuff. Maybe I'm intrigued, but I don't know where to start. How would you recommend someone going about starting to increase their self-awareness? Like what tools or practices would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I do, which helps me at a superficial level first, is sometimes I'll keep like a running pros and cons of just my job or my life or however things are going. So on the left side of my monitor, I have pros and I'll put little sticky notes of things that are going well. And if so, if something that happens that really bothers me or I'm worried about it, instead of just going over it again and again in my mind, I'll write it down and I'll put it in the cons column. And that stuff starts to sort of build up. And one thing that that does by making it visual is I can kind of look to the side and say, yeah, you know, these things are going badly for me right now. But on the other hand, these like nine things are going really well. And that's like, okay, well, if you want to start doing something about it, take one off the screen and sort of break it down. Like, what does that mean? Why might that be happening? What could be causing that? And try to break it down just like you break an epic down into user stories. Try to break it down into bite-sized manageable pieces and then put it in sequential order like a roadmap and just kind of work through it and it'll come together. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So now we'll open it up to folks on the call. If you have any questions and want to type them in chat, we'll have a few minutes for questions if anyone has questions. So I actually teach via Zoom. So this is my happy place right here. You're, um, you're back, in, you're back in the classroom. The open studies program. And so we teach classes online and it's pretty much like this with slides. But I think these are the kinds of conversations that are really good to have. I think it's been amazing how people are adapting to online even more so, I felt this way in the studio environment and other places where I've worked. Like you've got to have relationships with people like this kind of group where imagine this was our team. We could meet in the morning before we start work and just have a moment to like have a coffee, talk about stuff and just mm -hmm. kind of talk about what we've been thinking about. And that way, you know, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal either. It can just be that you develop a relationship that you're comfortable talking with each other, comfortable asking questions and stuff like that. Yeah. Allowing people to then more effectively collaborate and create better designs. So we have a question from Vishal. So what would you suggest for someone as an individual contributor to support and encourage safe spaces for feedback sharing? Yeah. So this is where the coffee <laughs> comes in or what I now call telecoffee, which I don't know if I just made that up, but I'm using that word now. So go for it. Um, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, as an IC, I would put like a coffee on the calendar of a manager or somebody who's in a leadership position. And if you don't have that in your organization, then it's more about pinging individual people and sort of like building a coalition or a network, which is good practice anyway. But I would go and take the person out for a coffee and tell them what you'd like to do. And that way you're not asking them to do it for you. You're not saying like, hey, can you create these conditions? But you're saying, hey, I have an idea that I think would be good for the team. I think it'd be great for us to have these feedback sessions. And here's how I'd like to do it. I'd like to facilitate these. I think this would be great. And this is also how you get to take on more responsibility is you come up with these ideas and then say, hey, this is something that I'd like to do. If I did that, could I check in with you about it once every month or once every six weeks to kind of get some coaching from you on how we're doing it? And then they'll probably be, a lot of times when you bring people ideas, they're like, great, make it happen. 
you know? So just figure out your idea first and then pitch it to them over coffee and you'll probably be able to do it. Yeah, I heard a quote somewhere in the past couple of weeks that said like leadership can come from any level. And a lot of times when you're more junior, you're an IC, you're like, but maybe they'll figure it out. But a lot of the times the people up there are looking towards ICs or more junior folks to take that initiative. So I feel like that's a great suggestion. Yeah, I think a big part of their job is to help ICs come out of their shell in that respect. And that's how you grow. And that's how you develop more and more comfort with initiating things and being proactive. One more question. So what wording did you use or recommend when you ask people for feedback about your reputation? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it'd be a good idea to tell them why. So just kind of be like, hey, you know, part of my goal is continuous self-improvement and we all have strengths and weaknesses. And so I just wanted to ask, I don't know, whatever. I mean, maybe I would say if I wanted to find that out, I would say, have you heard anybody express concerns and make sure they know it can be anonymous. So like, you don't have to tell me who, but I was just wondering if you heard anybody express concerns about anything that I'm doing, because I would love to try to improve myself and I'd love to hear about those things. You know, just putting it like that, I think it's fine, but make sure that people feel safe and comfortable talking. So sometimes anonymous is good. Thank you so much, Adam. It was a pleasure to connect today and I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope everyone else did as well. Thanks everyone. See you later. See you. And that wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you're curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest design to be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.